1, he talks about the idea that um, God uh, chose you, God adopted you, God pours his special blessings upon you. He talks about Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ saved you, he redeemed you, he forgave you. Um, he showers his blessings upon you. The Holy Spirit helps you to understand the word of God and seals you, makes you his own. He comes to chapter 2 and he talks about the idea that you're saved by grace through faith. And he spends a tremendous amount of time helping them to understand that this was your life before you were Christian and this is your life now that you're a Christian. Then he spends chapter 3 talking about why difficult things happen in our lives. And he talks about um, the idea that the, the people at Ephesus were upset because Paul was a in their minds, a good person trying to do what's right, and yet he's in prison. And Paul writes to me and says, you need to understand, you're going to see us again this morning, it wasn't something that God did to me, it's something that God did for me. And so he explains to them that God's at work in his life and that, that they don't have to get bent out of shape over what's happened. And not to focus on the circumstances, but to focus on what God is doing way past the circumstances. So he lays out all of that groundwork, and then we get to chapter 4, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 now transition, and it's a big shift. The rest of the book is going to talk about tremendous, practical, everyday living kind of stuff, but it's all based in what he's talked about in the first three chapters. So this morning, we're going to look at the first three verses, and um, they're packed pretty full, so we're going to go fast, but hang on. Here it goes. Verse 1. Here's what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord. Now, we're going to stop right there. Okay? Paul is not a prisoner of the Lord in the sense that you and I would think of. Paul's a prisoner of Nero. He is under house arrest in Rome. What happened was Paul was preaching. He caused a problem there in Jerusalem. And so the Jerusalem, the Jews there kind of brought it to Rome and said, hey, look, this guy is teaching against Rome. We think he's committing treason. And they wanted him imprisoned. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, said, I appeal to Caesar. So for two years, he went to Caesarea, and he was in jail there at Caesarea, kind of a holding pattern. Then Paul gets on a ship and ends up going to Rome, has a shipwreck. That's a fascinating story. Eventually then makes his way to Rome. He gets to Rome and under Nero, he's now under house arrest. So people can come and go and visit him, but he can't leave. He's basically chained to a, a Roman soldier. And so Paul just uses that as an opportunity to witness to him. And Paul also uses that as an opportunity to write a number of the letters that we have in the New Testament to the different places and churches that he has been to. And that's how we have this letter. But Paul, when he writes to these people, says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Now, you have to understand that in Paul's perspective, he's looking at this as God is using it. I'm looking at this as I, and, and by the way, often Paul, when he speaks, talks about a slave of the Lord, or he presents himself that way. You need to understand, to do people that he is talking to, these are not good images. Um, in the Roman world, in the Greek world, to be a slave, well, I mean, that, that was a bad deal. Um, to be a prisoner, that was a bad deal. But Paul uses it as an element of pride, if you will, that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I get to be the Lord's prisoner here, that God is using this. And he goes on and he says this, I, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Um, Here's the deal. Paul here gives us the goal, not only for believers, but for the church. He's introduced this idea of the church earlier because in chapter 3, he talked about this idea of there's this unique thing. You're not Jews anymore. You're not Greeks anymore. You are now one in Christ, and we're going to see a lot of that next week. But he talks about this idea of you are now this new thing. We know it as the church. You are this new group, this new body. And, and, and you need to, this is what you guys need to be doing. And this is what he says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Basically, he has just spent three chapters telling these people all the things that God has done for him. Now he starts and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start walking like you've been called. I want you to start acting like what God has already done. In other words, I want you to function differently because of what God has already done in your life. And he spent three chapters telling you all of the things that, that God has done for you. And you're going to see this idea of walking in this book again. You're going to see it uh, two or three times here in chapters four, five, and six. Because walking has this concept of it's active. You know, it's like yesterday we went to Art Splash with my three-year-old granddaughter. Came home last night and had sparkles all over me. Um, you know, last night I took my shirt off and I got sparkly everywhere. And then my wife was like, what in the world? She's like, you know, where have you been? You know, I'm like, oh, you know, no, this is your granddaughter. I was holding her. She did that painting thing on her arm and she hugged me and it was all my neck and it was all, you know, so, so, you know, I mean, that's why you know, I'm going to keep the buttons up tight today because I'm all sparkly. Uh, but I mean, you know, we got out to go and, and, and we had to walk and I looked at my wife and, I, and she, and, and, and I, we're trying to decide which way to go. There's one way to go that way, and there's one way. And I looked at my wife and said, which, which is like the shortest way? Because I just want to get there. I don't, I don't want to be walking, you know. We're going to walk enough today. And, and it's that idea of, you know, I could have just stood there all day in the parking lot. But in order to get where I needed to go, I had to do something. I had to be active. I had to move. I had to walk. And, and what Paul is saying is, look, now that you're a Christian... Start walking. Start moving. Start doing something about what I've just told you in three chapters God has already done for you. And he gives that that idea of, as a Christian, because we are Christians, we do things. There is an outcome of that. Um, One of my best professors in college used to always say, and, and he was a phenomenal student of the Word of God, but one of the things that he said is, God desires a soft heart, not a fat head. And his idea was God wants you to apply the word of God to your life and to do something about it. And Paul writes to these people and he goes, okay, here's what I want you to do. This is your calling. This is what you're supposed to do. Go and act like what I just told you God's already done. And now he's going to get into this and he's going to tell us now what it looks like. There's a lot of debate over what's the purpose of the church. And there are all kinds of people that say, you know, well, you know, there's, there's a group right now that says, you know, the church should be socially active and they ought, to, they ought to be fighting social injustice and they ought to be doing that. There's another group that says, well, it ought to be political. 
and the church ought to get involved in the political arena. And there's another group that's saying, you know, you know the church needs to be soul winning and evangelistic and always preaching the gospel every single time. And, and, and there's another group that says, well, no, the church is all about everybody learning and getting deep and, 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 and focusing on the word of God. And, 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 and all those are kind of elements of it. But Paul kind of bypasses all of that. And he says, you want to know what the church is? You want to know what the, the, the goal and, and one of the things that the church should be doing right now? He said, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Start acting like what God has already done in your life. And now he's going to go into, for the next two verses, he's going to go into what some of that looks like. Here's what he says. I'm just going to take them one by one. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. So let's walk through them one by one. First thing, what does it mean to walk worthy of your calling? One of the things that he says is be humble. Now, you need to understand, in the first century, when this is written, humility is not a virtue. No one wanted to be humble. The Greek culture said, be the best you can, be better than everybody else, and if you need to walk on over them and push them down and everything else, then you get to the top no matter what. The Roman world had no No desire to be humble. Humility is a Christian virtue. Humility is something that is something that we value because it's something our Savior valued, but it is not something that the world values. I mean, you think about it for a minute. We we associate humility with weakness, don't we? And yet the Bible says, okay, let me tell you something. You want to know how you need to walk? You need to walk humbly. Uh, humbly humble has the idea of lowliness of mind. Um, and I, I would say this about the church. As, as the world looks at the church, humility is not what comes to mind when they think of us. They see us often as pride, proud, arrogant. It's not humble. But one of the things that stood out in the life of Jesus Christ was what? His humility. Paul, when he writes to the Philippian church, says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Paul writes to these people, he says, Okay, you need to walk worthy. And one of the things you need to do is you need to be humble. Um, so let me take two, two, two rabbit trails on this. First rabbit trail. I've been in small town America, rural America long enough to know this. We, and I include myself in that, take great pride in our self-sufficiency. You know, I don't need anybody else. I can do that on my own. I don't need help. I don't need, I don't need help. You know, your wife's going, you need to call somebody to get some. I don't need help. I'll do it on my own. I'll figure out a way to do it. And we take great pride in that because then we want to look back and we want to go, hey, look at what I did. How humble you think that sounds to God. You think God's in heaven going, yes, you did it on your own. You are self-sufficient. And I think we take great pride in it, but the reality of it is it's anti what God wants us to do. 
you know, wisdom is realizing, you know what? I'm going to go call somebody. I'm going to go get some help here. And yet we, take, we, we, we want to go, well, I got here on my own. Well, yeah, that's why you made a mess of it. You know? It would have been so much better to have help or have somebody come alongside of you. You know, I mean, I look at all the times in my life, you know, I've gotten hurt because I did it on my own. You know, my wife's going, you are just an idiot. You know? Um, and, 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 I, and I say that because I think sometimes we look at this as a badge of honor. And yet, God says, look, you, you need to learn. You need to walk humbly. Humble is also, the, the other rabbit trail on this is, it's not self-sufficiency, and it's not that idea of, you know, well, I'm just so bad, nobody can ever, woe is me. Well, because again, all you're doing is, you're focusing on you. Both are equally deadly to somebody who's trying to be humble. And, and the idea of humility is just simply the idea of, I think what Paul says in Galatians is smart, when he says, bear your own burdens. There's stuff in your life you need to carry on your own. Don't make everybody else carry that for you, but there are some stuff that's really heavy. And you bear one another's burdens on that stuff. And so there are some things that I need to carry on my own, and there are other things that I need to depend on other people. And wisdom is knowing which is which and when to ask help when I need help. And I think if we're to be the kind of people, if we're to be the kind of church God intends for us to be, humility needs to be a big part of who we are and how we handle it. So we do need to be dependent and ask upon other people and be humble enough to do that. Well, I don't want anybody knowing my problems. Oh, yeah, yeah, we think you've got your act all together, right? (laughs) Come on. We're all struggling. We've all got stuff. And so what we do is we come together and we help each other with our stuff. That's what he's saying. He's saying walk humbly. And then notice what he also says. And gentle. Oh, there's a great concept we all want to strive towards, right? We get the football team together and we say, okay, guys, go out there and be gentle. No, no. We have a culture, again, same culture in the New Testament time. They didn't honor gentleness. They looked at that as weakness. They looked at that as as impotence. They looked at that as, oh, you know, poor you. I, I like what one guy said. One guy said, if you really want to picture gentleness, think of a horse. It is an incredibly powerful and strong animal. But under control, it's gentle. And a good horse, I don't know anything about horses, so I'm like, I'm, I'm like guessing here, just, just going by what I know. Hey, I, I, I love horses. I've been on a horse. I don't have a problem if you have horses. But in my world, I don't want something i got to feed in the winter. I want something I can put gas in and turn a key. All right? So... Not a horse person. I I love you horse people. God bless you. God, when he's handing out, you know, horse people talent, he skipped me. You know, he's like, motors and fast. Okay, I'll give that to you. Now I'm good. But here's what I do know about horses is a really good horse, a really gentle horse, you can put a child on. Yet. That horse has the power to kill that child in an instant. But what does it do? 
It controls its power because it's gentle. That's the idea here. Paul says God's people, God's church should be gentle in its approach. I like what one guy said. He said it this way. Christophanum, I think, actually, um, is a guy who said this. And I've got to find it. I've got ahead of myself here. Um, I don't know. He said something important. Um, oh, man. Why did I skip it? Okay, it's, I don't know. No, okay, I've got to find it because this is going to drive me nuts. I'll just sum it up. How did I miss that? Uh, basically, here's what he, what he said. I'm going to paraphrase it. But basically, he said this. It's the power to be able to hurt someone and not use it. He said it, it's the power to be in a position where you can hurt somebody, but you decide not to use that power. It's that gentleness. It's that idea of being forgiving and loving and kind and tender when I don't have to be. When I have the ability to do something to that person, but I choose not to. Um, He talks about this idea of gentleness. Um, Patience. Uh, Here's another thing. He talks about the idea, uh, again, the gentleness. Let me back it up just for a second. I don't think the world, when they look at the church as a whole, sees us as a gentle. I think they see us as obnoxious, um, harsh. And, and there's something wrong with that because that's not what God wants us to be. He goes on and he says that, um, be patient. Um, this is the idea of putting up with each other's quirks. Okay. This is the idea of giving people a little more rope. Giving them time. You know, I often see this when somebody's going through something. Somebody will come in and they go, you know, I just have a real problem with so-and-so. You know, they're, and I'm like, they're so ouchy. And I say, you know what, look, how about cutting them some slack and giving them some time? Because I imagine that in your life you've been that way too at times. Don't you want them? <laughs> yeah. Mike's going, nope, not me. And Sue's going, yeah, I don't know who you're married to. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, really, you know, really, we do do that. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be careful because now that I'm up here, I can see everybody. Uh, but, I mean, seriously, you know, it's that idea of cutting each other slack. And I think sometimes the church has done a very poor job of, of giving people room to grow. And we become too judgmental of one another. And we become too critical. You go, are you saying we just ignore sin? No, I'm not saying we ignore sin. But I'm saying we understand that we are all struggling and growing at different places and different rates. And that, that we need to have the space to grow. You know? Instead of, and Paul says, look, be patient with one another. And I think sometimes we forget that. You know, it's amazing to me as a grandparent how patient you can be with your grandchildren. But that patience skipped me when I had kids. You know? And, and yeah, grandparents are laughing. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, ah, oh, just let them do that. You know, whereas a parent, you were like, ah, you know, how dare you? You know, because I think maturity, I think time brings that along. 
And, and, and Paul's saying, look, be patient with one another. You know, as people come in, man, just give them some room. You know, you go, well, you know, you know they said this, and I don't think that. and Be patient with one another. You know, you didn't get where you are in your journey overnight. It took time to get where you are. And it takes time for you to get where you need to go. You go, well, I got my act all together. Well, then you need to find another church because this ain't the place for you. We are all a work in progress. We are all different places in the journey. We are all growing. We, are all, we all have steps that we need to take. We all have steps that we need to change. And, you know, when you come to a point that you're like, oh, I got it all together, well, then you can either start preaching here or go find someplace where there's a whole lot of perfect people because it ain't here and it ain't here. It ain't up here either. You know, I've got places to grow. And, you know, people go, you know, well, you know, this is part of the thing that's happening in the church. They're like, oh, we're just going to accept everybody and let everybody come in and everybody be. Look, anybody's welcome to come in those doors. But no one, myself included, is welcome to stay where you are. We are, all read, we are all a work in progress where God is working in our lives to make us more like Christ every day, every week, every month, every year. We are all in that journey. All of us are welcome to come in, but we are not welcome to stay the same. And, and you want a great study, study in the Bible how God works about change. Everything in the universe is constantly changing. You know, you look at all these plants and what's happening. They're changing. You look at the the fields of corn and soybean. It's changing. And it's going to change some more. And then we're going to harvest it. And what's going to happen? Then the soil's going to change again. And it's going to change when we plant. And it's going to change again. There's this constant growth thing happening. And that's what happens in our lives as well. Paul says, be patient. Forbearing one another. That is an incredible word as far as this idea of, of putting up with stuff. Um, it has the idea of, that idea of hanging in there and giving each other some, some space. It's what, it's what you see Jesus do so often. The woman at the well, what happens? They bring her, caught in the act of adultery. They don't bring the guy, which tells you they had an agenda. And they're all ready to take matters into their own hands and stone her. And what does Jesus say? I, I love this. I love that story. You know why? Jesus ignores them. They're like, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do, Jesus? He's like playing in the sand. I'd love to know what he was writing in the sand. I think that would have been so cool. But the Bible doesn't tell us. Um, so he's just writing in the sand. He goes, okay, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. It's interesting. They say oldest to youngest start walking away. And how does he handle her with this gentleness and humility and patience? And he says, hey, where's everybody who brought you? (laughs) They all laughed. He said, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. He deals with her sin. He doesn't, you know, he deals with her sin. He said, look, okay, go and change. But you see this humbleness and patience and this forbearance with him. And it says, with one another in love. The idea is that as as believers, 
We're to love. We're to put other people in front of us. We're to serve and minister one another. Is this not what we saw in our Savior? We call ourselves Christians, people who follow Christ, followers of the way. Is that not the way that he taught? God so loved that he gave. And we love, we, 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 we put other people's needs in front of ours. It's not about us. And by the way, if you'll notice, all of these words are relationship words. You're going to see this as you go through this book from 4, 5, and 6, chapters 4, 5, and 6. There's a lot of relationships mentioned in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because Paul wants you to understand that, look, how you treat one another and how you say you love God are linked together. That's why when they ask what's the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like unto it. He doesn't give them two answers. He gives them one. Love God and others. And, and the idea here is that we are patient for bearing one another in love. And then notice what he says. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say go and be united. He says, keep that unity that you already have. That's the unity he talked about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Fellow partakers, fellow believers, fellow heirs. This isn't something we do. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you became part of the body of Christ. You have Christ in common. And Paul said, keep that because Satan will do everything he can to drive a wedge in it. Haven't you found that to be true in your marriage? Haven't you found that to be true in your job? Haven't you found that to be true in your country and in any church? That Satan is always trying to get people to be divided? Haven't you found that in a church that one of the things that Satan works the hardest at is to get people to start nitpicking at each other? So all of a sudden now there's, there's well, there's like this group who won't be at sit on that side because that group's sitting over there, and this person, well, they won't come because that person is coming. Come on. You're going to be in heaven together. Get used to being together down here. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, I think there's something. They're going to be surprised at people who are in heaven. They're like, ooh, I never thought that person, you know, ooh, I got to spend eternity with them? Oh, I don't know. I mean, really, Paul says, look, keep the unity. That's the one thing we have here that you need to know. Um, There's a lot of things that in the life of Christ, he was gentle about a lot of things, but there's some things he was very harsh on. Um, He's gentle with the woman at the well, but when he sees them making his father's house a place of money, he goes in, goes back home, tries to cool off, comes back, Next day, throws over tables. He goes, this is one thing you ain't going to do. He makes a very clear statement about how he feels about some of that stuff. Unity is another one. And, and, and in my world, when it comes to church, I've watched disunity and I've watched schisms and, and people picking at each other destroy what God's trying to do. And, and it's one thing we work really hard to protect here. Um. But he says, through the bond of peace. The idea is that the goal is peace, not compromise. And I don't want to talk about compromising principles or scripture or anything else. When the Bible's black and white, we need to be black and white. No questions about it. You go, well, what about just, you know, accepting everything? No, no. The Bible's clear. We need to be clear. 
But where the Bible's not clear in its preference, okay, let's not, let's not, let's, let's not make that divisive issues. I, I bring the analogy to my marriage. If you think my wife and I are in agreement on everything, you haven't been with us more than about 10 minutes. Because we disagree, and we disagree strongly on some things. Because I married a very stubborn woman. <laughs> and the reason I married a stubborn woman is because that's what it takes to try to work with a stubborn man. And we butt heads on stuff. And it's like, she's like, I think we should do it this way. And I think we should do it this way. But our goal is to come to unity and to come to peace and figure out what's the hill worth dying on and what's not. What we found out is that the longer we're married, the more we start to realize, you know what, there's just a lot of things that really doesn't matter. Um, and so, you know what, let's not make it a hill to die on. Um, that's what I think happens with grandparents is that after you've raised your kids, you realize, okay, you know what, I, I kind of need to be, I, I was a little harsh, you know. And so <laughs> it's kind of sad because it's like then you go to the other pendulum and then your kids, so your kids have to deal, my kids had to deal with me being harsh and now they have to be with me being a marshmallow and they're like, we kind of want the harsh guy to show up once in a while that help us out here because we've got to be the bad guys. And I'm like, I'm a grandparent. I got to be the good guy all the time. Um, what? You want, you want sparkles? Sure. You know, um, and that's what happens. I mean, that's what happens with it. And Paul says, look, I want you to keep the unity. It's not uniformity. I don't want my wife to always agree with me. Okay? Um, I mean, it would be nice on some things, like tools, um, projects, toys. You know, I mean, that would be nice. But um, the reality is I need somebody to temper that and go, no, 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 honey, we can't. You, no, we're not going to do that. Don't do that. I need that strong will. But we focus on the idea of, look, we're together. We're in this together. Let's do what's best for the marriage. Let's do what's best for our family. Not necessarily what I want, not necessarily what you want. And the same thing in the church. You know, I've said this before. If you, told, if you pulled me aside personally and you said, PJ, here's what we want. I want you to design a church just for you. Okay. It would boggle your mind what I would do. It would absolutely blow your mind. Like, you mean you wouldn't do it like this? No, 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 no. No. You're like, well, what would you do? First of all, we'd have incense. When you come in, everything would smell. Yeah, see? See? You already don't like it. You wouldn't come. And I have, all I've done is got you to the front door. Glass and art would be everywhere. I mean, awesome art. Awesome. And I don't mean like, I mean like awesome art. I mean, you walk in, there'd be a chihuly glass sculpture hanging in the lobby give you a ballpark idea you're probably talking a quarter to a half million dollar chandelier um all kinds of really cool stained glass oh stained glass. wood metal art contemporary art everything else like what kind of music chicago would be playing <laughs> chicago you like you mean like not passion worship? No, you can play that on the side, but I mean Chicago, you know, 
I mean, you know, it would be all gear, and you're like, you could worship like that? Oh, man, that would be so awesome for me. I'm like, oh, yes, God is here. Um, it's not about me. It's about what works for us. It's about what works for us. And if you notice, it's kind of eclectic. There's a little bit of everything. You had hymns this morning. You had country gospel. You had choruses. You know, music-wise, you're like, you know, what's your preference? Chicago! You know, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. That's not what it's about. It's about how we minister together and the idea of putting aside our personal stuff. By the way, we'd have pews. And we'd have big, fancy wood pews. And we'd have a fancy wood ceiling. You're like, really? Yes. Yes. You're like, you know... It's not about me. Not about me. It's about how God wants us to worship together, putting aside our stuff and figure out what works for us. That's what it's about. A couple of takeaways. First of all, Paul says, I'm a prisoner. Paul sees his circumstances through God's eyes, not his own. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know that right now it's easy to focus on your circumstance or your situation. Paul did not look at it and say, what is God doing to me? God look, Paul looked at it and said, what is God doing for me and through me? And he saw God. And he said, God has me as a prisoner here because I'm convinced personally. Had Paul, Paul, was, Paul was a go-getter. Paul was a 100-mile-an-hour kind of person. Paul was not the kind of person who sat down and wrote letters to churches. So I'm convinced the reason you and I have the Bible that we have today is because God said, I want to do something through you, Paul. I'm going to put you in, under house arrest where you can't do anything but write. So that thousands and thousands of years from now, people have the words that I wanted them to have because you're going too fast and I want to slow you down because I have a bigger thing for you than you to keep running around to all these churches. And Paul said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. God's got me locked in here, and you know what? I can't do anything else, but I can write to you guys. And I don't think he had any clue we'd be reading them thousands of years later. Now, you don't have any clue what you're going through, how God's going to use it hundreds and thousands of years later. You have no idea. Why? Because God is not doing something to you. God is doing something through you. There's a big difference. Second idea of this, the focus is to glorify God. Like Paul said, he said, to walk humbly and gently and be patient this week, forbearing one another in love, focusing on unity through peace. Paul said, that's the goal for you this week. Walk worthy. Walk like you've been called to walk. Act like you're supposed to act. You know, and, and we get into this thing about, well, I, I want to be sincere about it. Look, God just wants you to go do it. Often what you find is the feeling follows the action. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to describe this. I mean, uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Have you ever had to go to something you didn't want to go to? Men are going, yep, every week. My wife dragged me somewhere I don't want to go. What happens most of the time? Don't you walk away going, you know, I'm glad we got to do that. Now, you didn't want to go, but you knew, okay, I'm married, I'm supposed to go. 
Or you knew, okay, you know what, I need to, you know, that person wants me, and it'll mean a lot to that person, so I'll go for that person. And then it's like, oh, you know what, I'm glad I went. That's what we're talking about. Paul said, just go start being humble, go start being gentle, go start being patient, go start forbearing one another in love. Go ahead, start focusing on unity, and you will be amazed at how God can use that. Just walk like you're supposed to walk. Do what you're supposed to do. And Paul lays this out for these people because they, they didn't understand the idea of why all of this stuff was important. And now he's saying, now, this is why it's important. He said, you need to love like Christ loved. You give to help meet the needs of other people. You need to be patient like Christ was patient. You need to be gentle like Jesus was gentle. You need to be humble like Jesus was gentle. You call yourself a Jesus follower, act like Jesus. And the last thing is, this is how the church is supposed to be. I mean, if this is the way the individuals are, walking worthy of what they've been called to do, and we're a group of individuals who come together and call ourselves a church, isn't that what we should be? Again, I'm not saying you compromise doctrine. Never, ever, ever. The Bible says this is wrong. I don't care what culture says, it's wrong. Clear cut. Just like it was in Jesus' day, it was wrong. It's wrong today. But the difference is, look at how Jesus deals with it. Humbly, gentle, patient, bearing one another in love. And that's the way we need to handle it. We need to be a church where when people walk in here, they don't feel like we're arrogant. They don't feel like we're looking down on anybody. They instead see a place where we're humble and gentle and loving and kind. Helping them to take the next step just as we're trying to help each other take the next step. One of the stories that I read is actually the end of a book, but it stuck with me all week. I was this homeless guy, I guess, and, and he walked into a church, and it was a big fancy church, and everybody was dressed just right, looked right, you know, did the right things, you know, whole one of those kinds of churches. Walked in, just like every other church, everybody's, all the seats in the back are full. Um, didn't, couldn't find a seat, couldn't find a seat, walked all the way down, couldn't find a seat even in the front, so he sat down on the floor. One of the old saints of the church, you know who I'm talking about? Everybody know one of these people, you know? who wanted everything right and everything, started making his way down, hobbling his way all the way down. They thought, oh, good, he's going to talk to him and tell him he can't sit there. Took the guy a while. He gets all the way down there. He sat down on the floor next to him for the rest of the service. That's kind of church one. Where there's a, hum, there's a humility and a gentleness and a love and a compassion for one another. When we have somebody in the church who's hurting and going through something, we're there for them. When we have somebody come in and we can help and we can minister to them, that's what we want to do. That's the kind of place we want to be. That's the kind of calling that we're called to do. And when the community looks at us, that's who we want them to see. Do we stand for truth? Yes. Do we say this is right, this is wrong? Yes. but we're gentle, kind, loving people who care for one another. I think that exists here. But I know Satan doesn't want it to exist. 
it is up to us to make sure that we, we, we continue to make sure that that is who we are. And so my challenge to you this week is to look at your life and say, okay, what do I need to change? How can I be, more, how can I be humble this week? How can I be gentle? How can I be patient? How can I be loving? How can I focus on unity and peace in that situation that's under your skin right now? So I close with this. Paul challenges the people to walk in a way that genuinely reflects following Christ. We're challenged to be humble, gentle, loving, patient, and walk in unity that already exists. The goal of the church is to reflect and show the world what Jesus Christ looks like. Since Christ is not here physically, they have to see Christ in us. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Lord, we've all got stuff. We've all got stuff we need to deal with. We've all got things in our lives, Lord, that are honoring and glorifying to you. We've all got things that need to change. So, Lord, work on us this week. Help us to try to see things differently. Lord, through your spirit, would you help us to see the opportunities in front of us, to see ways that we can respond differently than what we want to respond And Lord, when it is all said and done, as people see us this week, may they really see the Christ that lives in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen.